Thoroughly good classical music podcast welcomes everyone and features conversations that may or may not be about classical music, opera and the wider arts. It can take in everything. They're a reflection of the passions, expertise and experience of those who participate in them. This episode, the ninth, is another great example and was in part inspired by a half-hour documentary I watched on YouTube recently, a clip from which you heard at the top of this podcast. In it, a group of teenagers are introduced to an operatic voice for the first time. When I first saw the programme, and that clip in particular, I was unexpectedly moved. In fact... I cried a bit. Uh, the voice you hear, Simon Shibambu, is moving enough. The expression on the faces of the teenagers hearing it for the first time is what seals the deal for me. Search for Hip Hop to Opera on YouTube. You will see what I mean. Hip Hop to Opera was made by Opera Holland Park General Director Michael Volpe. After I watched the film, I wanted to meet him and regular concert and opera goer Ruth Ellison. Opera isn't on my radar necessarily, it's not my go-to art form, despite the fact that whenever I do go, I always adore the experience. So because of that, I wanted to get a handle on my own sense of unease being in the company of people who knew more about opera than I did, because I thought there was something there that might be worth unpacking. And of course, I wanted them to tell you about this year's Opera Holland Park season, which starts today, Tuesday, the 29th of May. I should warn you... This runs to just over an hour. That sounds like a lot, but I promise you this conversation will fly by. There really wasn't any edit point, apart from one, when the card ran out. General Director of Opera Holland Park. Volpe. Where does that name come from? It's Italian. Italian? Okay. So means fox. Okay. Mike Fox. Okay. Uh, and you, please, over there with the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I am Ruth Ellison. I'm an opera lover. Been living in London for the last 20 years or so. And um, frequent opera in London, out of London, out of the UK. You go to a lot of stuff. I go don't to a lot you? of stuff. And, uh, and I love that. Yes. And I do. We need more like her. Well. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> he wrote that, you know, in um What we need more like her. His book, oh, you have a book. And he wrote a he wrote a dedication in the front that said we need more like you. Really? So you've written a book, you've made a television program, you've written a script for a scene that you were telling me. Is there anything you can't do? No. Oh, and you also produce opera. <laughs> that too. So yeah, is there um, anything else you can't I, do? I guess <laughs> I'm just one of those typical London boys who thinks they can do everything and sometimes turns out you can. Right. There's an awful lot of things. <laughs> it's a good face. There's an awful lot of things I've probably tried to do and probably shouldn't have tried. But uh, no, I mean, I, you know, the book was something that was very personal. It's a very personal story. So it was easy to do. I wouldn't call myself an author. Um, Why not? Well, okay, I'm an author in that I've published a book, but I, it's not my living, so to speak. Right. Uh, and I, I've got a moderately decent turn of phrase and I can construct a fairly decent sentence. But I had a subject about which I could write with some passion. And you're self-effacing. I mean, I don't know. This is the first time I've met you. So, mm. you know, you are self-effacing. Well, I try to be. Yeah. Although there's a lot of people who probably don't think I am. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, but I do. Come on to that later. I, you know, it's weird. You know, when people come up to you and say, I really loved your book, I find it really awkward. You know? What is it that you find? Because I might understand what that is. Well, what just is because they, they seem often to be very moved by it. Right. Uh, and o- other times they'll say, you reminded me of my, you know, dead brother or something. Okay, and, awkward. You know, and it just, and because I talk about a dead brother in the book. Uh-huh. So, you know, you just, you're Are very they- flattered. You're very, you feel quite humble that people, you know, love your story, I suppose. I mean, I, I guess that's just it. And you, 
And there is a bit of me, you know, that working class angst, I suppose, that thinks I'm a little bit of an imposter, you know. There <laughs> right, are, okay, so there are fantastic writers right. out there who've never got a book published, you know, and I just think, you know, I, I'm my kidding everyone on, but, you know, probably not. I'm conscious enough to think that it's a decent book. Yeah, the thing, you're, the thing you're best at capturing is your mother and her accent. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of your mother yeah. who I never met. Well, I did it in the, in the audio, but I read the audio book as well. Oh wow! Yeah, so did you I, insist, or did they say no? No, you're the they, they wanted Sorry, it to be no, me, and it was the longest eighteen hours of my life. To be honest. <laughs> because you don't write, you don't write prose in a book to be read out loud. Yeah, no, you re- you, you write to be it read out loud, to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and so it was very difficult to find the right meter when reading the prose that didn't sound really really boring did you start thinking did you sort of as you were reading it think why did i why did i say it like that there are the couple of <laughs> phrases that well you you certainly come across things that say well i obviously bloody never meant to read that bit out you know but it gave me the opportunity to do all the voices so i could do my mum and you know uh, and other people in well, probably just me mum actually i can't remember if there's any other but so i i thought no one else can do mum you was know. it cathartic? Writing the book? Yes. It, it ended up being because I finished it um, when, because in 18 months, my brother, my mother and my father all died. So it, I decided at that point, it's, this has now come to a conclusion. It dawned on me that's what the book was about. So there was a kind of catharsis, I suppose. Because uh, uh, writer friends of mine... But uh, it, didn't, it didn't make the loss any... No. particularly my brother any easier writer friends of mine talk about how when they really get into um writing something that they weren't expecting to write so mm. they get to a certain stage where they have a sort of slightly odd relationship with the with the yeah. book that they're writing and then when it's finished they can't possibly go anywhere near it just it's almost like having an extra yeah the family. i do yeah i know i know what you mean I, I i at the time my brother died i wrote a piece for huffington post about it and when I got to the bit in the book where I clearly had to say he died, because I've written before then I talked about him and his villainy and his, you know, being a, a, a little sod. Because most of this is a memoir set quite a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I thought, well, I need to tell everyone what happened to him. And I couldn't sort of face writing about it again. So I just reproduced in italics the piece I wrote in Huff Post. Right. Because I thought, well, well, that's pragmatism. That's very good. That's yes, very good pra- it was yeah. pragmatic and it was a lot easier. Yes. Uh, because it wasn't easy to write the first time. No. And then when it came to the end, by the end, as I said, it concluded, I just printed both the eulogies I'd read at my brother and my mother's funerals. I thought, I'm not writing anything about him anymore. I've had enough of that. Yes. So, so it kind of worked in that it, it worked because they were all written at, at, at the contemporaneous moment and had the the substance of the time of when it was really raw so i would never have replicated that it would have felt more contrived i think and then you had to read it all back in the studio and then i had to read it in the studio and that <laughs> was that was, was that horrific that was really okay. tough wow. and because because you had to read your own copy or because it was emotional to, okay yeah. right away. it was Fine. very difficult but then I, I mean, apologise for laughing. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's Slightly fine. insensitive on me. No, it's fine. It's, it's very difficult. I still get very emotional. Right. Which is weird, but sh- hey, shit, I'm Italian. Well, it also means that you're not a cold-hearted master. No. So, you know, no. that's a good thing. No, I'm one of those, but just not about that. But uh, anyway, so that's the way. It's called Noisy at the Wrong Times, by the way. Just right. Yeah, I was going to say, let's get on. Yeah, 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 get on. Okay. Um, and how did you, because you know each other. Do you, you do know each other? Yeah, we, yeah, like we, know, each we other. know each other really well now. Yeah, really. I right. here, the, origin, yeah. I mean, the origins of it. Years ago, before social media was invented... <laughs> and um, a pain in the arse. Oh. Absolutely. Okay, well, I'm just sharing in my In the good video. old days before <laughs> yeah. social media Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I used to write reviews for various online um, opera magazines. Yeah, and yeah. at some point... For some reason, I think I had cause to contact the Opera Holland Park press office or something. And this prompted Mike calling me about nothing in particular. And we talked for about an hour about obscure Italian opera. I didn't complain <laughs> about a review, did I? What a <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no
I remember you were something like uh, the youngest cri- or whatever. You were. I was in my mid twenties yeah, at the time. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I mean, it was a bit of a. I, I, it's hard to remember back then now because that the web was still moderately young and yeah. not terribly well um, developed, and uh, so it was quite a thing to see a young person, a young yes. woman, even writing reviews about about opera and you weren't used to seeing reviews in anything other than the mainstream press the mainstream yeah. press yeah uh that's of course now the the, the normality but it was it was interesting so I, I think i was probably just and that would have been a long time 20 years it was, possibly no not not, not as quite. much as that maybe 15 right because <laughs> i've been com- particular about I'd that. Be, 15 not I'd 20 com- i've been coming to ohp for a while yeah. by then um, I think I started coming in 2000, which was the year yeah, after I moved to London. Right, yeah. And I started reviewing for other people the following year, I think. So it was maybe three or four years after that right. that we had that conversation. Yeah. And, and it, I just. I, found it, I think I just found it at the time, it was sort of a bit unusual. Yes. Mm. Um, and I think that's what the. I, I recall that that's what the web was good for. Mm. I mean, the web is obviously good for lots of things now. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I do remember it being. It was a, it was an enabling thing for a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise have had that channel or that opportunity Absolutely. to write about something mm. that they really would. Really, I, I certainly benefited from it. Mm. And I mean, after that, I don't think we had any kind of contact whatsoever until social media, because really? I I'm not stu- seen you when you came in. Well, here. I mean, I yeah. I always used to come in here, yeah. but I don't think we knew each other. She just uh, he just ignored you. Is that what you're saying? It's really <laughs> it's really hard to actually genuinely. I've done twenty. This is my 29th season. So it's really, you know, hard to remember. People tell me things and go, did you remember? Did I? Yeah, there was quite a gap between when we we first spoke to each other and when we actually got to know each other. Because it was after I joined Twitter and it was the first OHP season after I joined Twitter. Right. Um, that I suddenly um, started having a lot of dialogue with OHP's Twitter account <laughs> and with you and James. What was the world like before Twitter? <laughs> yes. We don't remember. I mean, oh, I do. I remember thing. it being a lot well, quieter. Yes, well, <laughs> certainly a more pleasant place, I suspect. Yeah. But, well, um, to be honest, I mean, Twitter has its many, many faults and disadvantages. Of course. But I think possibly a majority of my social circle my immediate social circle who I see regularly are people I probably wouldn't have met or at least not yeah, got yeah, to know. Yeah. Well, I think that was the original intent of things like Twitter and social media before it was sort of abused by the rich and powerful and the political to to harness the, the mass communication potential that it has. Mm-hmm. I mean, like most things, you know... The, that part of our world gets wise to it and takes advantage of it. Yeah. So I think it's, I mean, there are some days you go on Twitter and, and it's really funny. You know, it's, oh, see a thread. <laughs> no, 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 there will be a thread or someone awful has put something up and the responses will be brilliant. Yeah. And you find yourself thinking, <laughs> that's what it's for. You know, the, the humour, particularly the Brits are good at this. Yeah. You know. Uh, it's fantastic and you find yourself laughing really laughing at some of this stuff and then you go on and you go you horrible (laughs) yes yes indeed it's like yes and that's more common but I think what I've noticed about about you and I'm pleased that we are talking about this is that you are fierce uh, fierce in a good way Mm. you know staunch advocate uh, fierce defender of any nonsense I mean, that, um, that's that's how I, I defend describe. the nonsense. Or no, I no, no. The nonsense. You attack the nonsense, right, yeah. and, but you do it in a in a in an unapologetic way. I'm not surprised, um, but but I like that, and I don't think there are enough people around like that. And I wonder where that comes from. Are you aware of that? Oh yeah, uh, yes. I think there was a time when I wasn't, and therefore, and that was a long time ago. And I and I wouldn't manage it terribly well. But uh, now I know. I, it's partly down to the fact I actually don't give a shit right and I think I've been doing this too long to pussyfoot around so it's quite interesting because I had a, a big debate with a guy who had gone onto Twitter and said you're outrageous awful manipulative and called us all sorts of horrendous things uh, publicly and, and I and he was wrong that and was I, recent was it? it was a moderately relatively recently. recent thing yeah. and I took him to task on it and said I'm sorry it's entirely unacceptable, whatever it was. You yes. know, it just wasn't 
correct. And I printed a thread that showed why he wasn't correct. And that was that. And he took umbrage and a couple of, of people came in and whatever, whatever, whatever. And it was quite funny because the girls in the office, the marketing team who look after social media, were like, Mike, what are you doing? <laughs> Keep away. And I sort of, it was because they're a completely different mindset and a different generation. And, and I kind of get that. But I said, look. And also because they're working for you. Yes, I mean, indeed. And I said, boss, so you're all you? right. You yeah, know, um, got this. But it was, it was, I kind of had to, we had quite a long discussion about it. It was interesting. And I know they were a bit sort of, Oh, but we try, you know, we try. And I said, but there are times when, as yes. a company, we have to fight it away. And we have to say, no, if you're going to publicly traduce us, yes. we're <laughs> going to publicly defend ourselves. Now, if he'd have written a letter to us quietly and said, look, I don't think I like this, and that's fine. He didn't. He slagged us off to mm. 12,000 followers. And I can't even remember what this conversation was No, I can't, but I do was, remember it was, witnessing it. was about it. adding the, uh, the inside, you know, the, the commission, the, uh, the donation Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, right. Yes. Um, but anyway, really that was important that. issues. Oh, that. Really yeah. important yeah. issues. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I am, I'd like to think I'm quite polite to people, but I'm not, I'm not going to be sort of obsequiously polite because you're a patron. No. If you, and I and I put up a thread soon after that to say, look, you know, we go out of our way to look after people here. It's the kind of festival we are. That's our whole reputation. But don't take advantage of that. No. And and that's all I was sort of saying. Um, and I think it's just because I've been doing it for twenty nine years, and you know, it's like how how bothered am I that someone's going to think I'm a bit rude to them? You know. I, th I, as someone who loves the arts, uh, probably more classical music than opera, I, I get rather excited when people do that kind of thing mm. because it feels a little bit like, um, you know, somebody's got our back. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I don't I, think yeah. there's enough of that. No, I, well, I think the world has become about customer service and it's become yeah. a kind of a, a theoretical customer service. We all talk about customer service and <laughs> yes. it's our obsession, though, customer <laughs> service, and we believe in great customer service. Mm. But we don't, really. And what happens is is that people are so obsessed with customer service, patrons and customers can be awful and rude and we'll tolerate it. And, yeah. and we won't. Um, I've realised that I interrupted you telling me how you both met <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really sorry no, that's so okay. you did eventually meet yes absolutely um, I think as I say I think it was the same year that I joined Twitter we may have met once or twice before and been introduced yeah, but I mean, it's not, we didn't know each other properly mm. um, it was 2010 that I joined Twitter Wow. And so it must have been that summer. Well, I was quite late to the Twitter game, actually. I think I've only been on Twitter about four or five years. I know. <laughs> I get the impression that Ruth Maybe. does not agree. <laughs> That's my feeling. I it? Yeah, but that's what Twitter does to you. Yeah, <laughs> You might be right there. Um, I, I certainly was late to the game, whether yeah. it was as late as I've said. But, I, you know, I know that there are an awful lot of people. I remember reading articles about Simon... Uh, Stephen Fry having millions of followers before yes. I even joined it, you know. Yes, that seems like another century. Well, I, I felt yeah. like I didn't sort of know what it was for for a long time. Yes. I, I was thinking, isn't it just like writing your Facebook status, but yes. um, perpetually? It sort of, yes. Yeah, it sort of was, wasn't it? Um, but the point that I didn't get at the time was that it's, it's for people you don't already know. Yes. It's, uh, whereas Facebook is for people you do already know. It certainly is the way that I and most of yeah. my friends no, that's use a fair, it. That's a yes. fair, yeah. um, you don't you don't meet people through Facebook. No, you don't. No, um, it's not you, sensible. No, exactly. I mean, if you ever watch the Jeremy Kyle show, they oh, all, all those couples meet on Facebook, and it's all disastrous. It's like, did you not read the manual? I yeah. mean, come on. <laughs> mm. uh, so, when you first came here, what did you see? Because I'm, I first I'm came here. when you first came Gosh, here. So when I very first came yeah. here, before I knew Mike, before I knew yeah. Um Was it like this? Uh, no, they had a they had a much smaller smaller theatre, yeah, six hundred um, fewer rows, right? Smaller the, roof. The seats were all the same price, so I mean they weren't they weren't expensive at all. They were sort of thirty quid, yeah, right. Um, but if you sat on the ends of the rows, which are now the cheapest seats. You would get rained on if it was raining. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> I you wouldn't have done. <laughs> and also, if 
I mean, this is still to a certain extent a problem, but much less, less than it was. If it's windy, you can't hear the music. Right. <laughs> because the roof, uh, the noise from the wind on the roof can be a problem. But See, in, the like theater, well. in the old theatre, in the old theatre, it was much worse. Um, yeah, it's the rain that's the issue for the noise. It, wind, wind is a discomfort problem for me. I've never. I, I mean, you might be right about it. it takes some of the sound a, a little bit. It's just the noise of the wind rather than mm. removing the sound, so to speak. Absolutely. But we're looking at a new theatre right now, actually. It's part. It's Ooh. a project we've got going. So. But still never, here. Still here, but just uh, just a, a little bit more considering of our. Uh, Customers' demands. <laughs> um, and your slightly, demands? slightly wry uh, smile. Your neighbours' demands. No, no, no. That's no, not the issue. No, no, no. It's purely just to make the place a whole lot more comfortable. You describe it as an issue. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, I'm getting old, and I don't like sitting out in the cold. So why would anyone else? You know, uh, and nor the wind, nor and it's look. I'm, can I just add to the dear listener, this is a very well-appointed and luxurious theatre and it's very comfortable. Particularly since Michael got the lovely new toilets last exactly. year, which he's very, very proud of. These the are business. the details that are really important. Uh, this they, and are. they are. They are, 25 absolutely. 25 people have been moaning yes. me about toilets. And great. being able to get into the auditorium easily and not having to get stuck. Yeah. I mean, I'm really not joking with you. Mm. Those kind of things are important. Yeah, but Otherwise, I think we, you know, we'd like to just make it a little bit more weatherproof on the sides. Uh, uh, and just uh, slightly better lyric design, really. So it's slightly better from a acoustic, point of view. acoustic and visual point of view. Uh, you know, just just next phase, really. You know, when we built this theatre, and it's a beautiful theatre, it really is, and uh, it's an amazing achievement. But it was ten, twelve years ago. Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven was its first season, and our operas changed, our productions have changed, our audiences have changed. Demands are different. Your production standards rocketed. Exactly. And I think, you know, this was the right theatre for the time. When you say production standards, okay, we have, we have an objective observer mm. here, even though the boss is here. Um, what were they like before and how are they rocketed? Um, Please. Well, um, nothing was ever terrible here. No, I'm not suggesting yeah. that you are um, suggesting. They're more inconsistent, I think. Definitely more inconsistent. Right. The um, production standards in terms of, mm. you know things being staged well right. was much more inconsistent you used to get they used to do a six show season and you would routinely get two to three good ones and yeah. the, oh, okay. the rest of them right. were slightly turkeys okay. not not necessarily you know either badly sung or a slightly stilted production or something and now it's really quite consistent you sometimes get one turkey per season in one respect or another well, you do but not because it's bad no it's just because it uh, you know you might get a production that just doesn't work Absolutely. as a concept yes. it's not that you'll get you know tea towels on the heads and <laughs> you know no. I mean? no no absolutely not um and that um, happens to everybody lovely descriptive element there have been two or three seasons in the last few years when there has not been a week production yeah i think we've had more of those than not i think was that yeah. one Tritico yeah one? i think uh, last year was pretty was yeah, pretty last solid. year was pretty good. Uh, you know, um, you know, four shows is a lot of shows in the period of time we've got to put them on, and, and all the festivals do this. And um, we don't have big teams, you know. We haven't, you know. James has got him and three others, more or less. So it's not. It, it's quite a feat. And it's an insane feat. And is, it, uh, is it possible that um, a thought has come to mind, and and this will lead on to something else later? But uh, uh, is it possible that Opera Island Park has spawned quite a lot of rural-related operas? You're shaking your head, Ruth. No, I don't think we spawned them. I think... Uh, or did you inspire them? Maybe that's a better word. Well, I think I've had an awful lot of phone calls over the years from people who wanted to start things in the, you know, in the summer. Yes. Uh, and I always, without fouls out, don't even go don't there. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, this is my patch. No, just no, because you're, you're a lunatic, you know. Um, <laughs> save your money, go and live in Barbados. Because presumably it's a, it's a, a, a long-term project. It's a Don't lot of money, it yeah. uh, it, and one of our, you know, it, you, it, when you're like us and you have to put everything you perform in here, it's a big commitment and yes. it's a big watch. And uh, we've got it down to a bit of a fine art, and we're still pushing the budgets lower and lower and lower in the build and finding ways. A new theatre would help us do that. You know, there's all sorts of problems with doing what we do. Uh, the weather is just a small part of them, although we're not we're pretty much weatherproof but 
people still associate you with being, you know, we don't do have eating. They? Do they really? Do, do people sort of think make of that connection? Yes, they say it's... We won't go there because... It's a chilly night, although we have a lot of pre-booking. But, uh, you know... I think that's part of the job. Personally, well, as an audience member, I, feel, I think that's part of the job. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting you say that, but not everyone thinks no. that. Well, they're idiots. I no, mean, in the, the, and you're paying <laughs> decent ticket prices here now. Yeah. You know, they're not... You know, we have thousands of tickets at 20 quid. We've yeah. got thousands of free tickets. We have a decent average price of around 50, 60 quid. Mm-hmm. Your ticket prices are still massively less than any comparable company. They are. That's true. And, I mean, the closest one in terms of the sort of auditorium you have, Garsington is the obvious comparison mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's got a very similar theatre in a way. Mm-hmm. And... More than twice as much. Absolutely. Three um, times as much in some cases. Well, as I, as I said to you before, um, I can only afford to go there once a season and that's without paying the donation element. But you see, th- one of the problems I've had over the years are various accountants who may have been involved with us, particularly when we were part of the council. And, you know, they would get a spreadsheet out and they would say, well, look, you're X percent of that venue, X percent of that venue, they're 200 quid, you're... 70 quid mm. you could easily be 90 quid and 100 quid and still be a lot cheaper than them and they'd go on their spreadsheet and they'd add this into their spreadsheet and we'd be making millions but people but that not. isn't really the point no. no i mean obviously we all realize yes yeah so i would consistently have to make the point that that's not the point and that doesn't work like that it's very rarely about what people can pay it's what people are prepared to pay yes and we've spent 30 odd years or whatever telling people that we're not those venues and not and I don't want to attack those venues they do what no. they do but we're something different and they've grown up with us I mean there are people who come to us who go to Garsington and to Grange mm. Park and pay those prices they would never pay them here I have this hunch that you have something that you need to say <laughs> I was just going to say that um, the, the country based opera houses sell themselves on the basis that you are getting an experience yes yes and i think a lot of people particularly people who aren't particularly into opera and who like to have nice experiences in the summer um that's that's why they do it here i've always felt it's primarily about the opera absolutely yes. <laughs> yeah i felt i felt the same yeah that's absolutely what we do and and I, again i don't want to knock those places no absolutely you know, they're serious opera companies. and You're a serious them. opera company. No, no, you but I'm not. But I, I think it's easy to sort of caricature the country house lot and say, oh, it's all just toffs and they don't really care about opera. And, and that wouldn't be fair. No, and that no, wouldn't there be are true. certain pe- types of people who go to country house opera. There are, there are the toffs, there are the opera lovers, there are a number of people in between. Yeah, <laughs> and but the opera lot, companies themselves of have long histories of doing fantastic work and exploring certain repertoire so you can't so i wouldn't ever want to knock them for for what they do that's what they do and and they don't take public money for it either which is another point and glindborn in particular makes massive efforts to um be accessible in certain ways the the way that they get you there for free Mm. from the station yeah all those things i think Um, that's i think they're great company i it just that we're not them Absolutely. And we're an urban, I like to think of us as an urban opera mm. festival. We, we are in a beautiful park, but we're bang in the middle of West London. And it, I suppose it largely also reflects me and James. You know, we're, we are what we are. You know, he's North London, I'm West London. We're he's from the North. <laughs> he's, he's a bit of, a, oh, bit of an outlier. Yeah, really? yeah, I know, I know. I, I mean, know, when you we, say North, how far North? Sort of Tottenham, you know. <gasps> But, you know, so it sort of reflects us. And <clears throat> the, I think the magic of this place on, on any given night can be the blend of people here. Hmm. We, yes, we do have wealthy audience sometimes. That's obviously... When you're in Kensington and Chelsea. And we're in Kensington and Chelsea. <laughs> but we have an awful lot of not terribly wealthy. And we have an awful lot of people on free seats. And we have the older people on free seats. And we have and young some, I, people. The kind of people who, and this is in no way a criticism, but the kind of people who are um, able and willing 
to walk up the park. Mm. I know that you can come from <laughs> yeah. Nottingham. I know you can come from the other entrance. You can get a taxi but it's a, shop yeah. yeah, but it's still a bit. It's a bit of a schlep, and and that's not a criticism at all. It's not. It's not like it's. We've worked it out. It's exactly ten minutes walk. Is it to every tube station? Is it? Yes. I must have got a bit lost. I think some of your audiences <laughs> might disagree because some of them might move a little slower. Yeah, but they all drive up. I suppose. Because uh, they've all got permits, because a lot uh, of them live in Kensington. Here's the thing that I desperately wanted to say to both of you, <coughs> uh, which is I deliberately asked both of you because I knew that you loved the genre uh, and I knew that opera wasn't my first love. Right. And what I was interested in was that even though classical music is my first mm. love and I'm an orchestral yeah. player, yeah. Uh, that actually in your in both of your company, the idea of sitting down to talk to you made me feel a little bit like, <gasps> mm. I don't off. know enough. Well, <laughs> well, well, I know, no, I know yeah. that stuff. I know totally You certainly know more I'm, than you think, I would imagine. <laughs> because I know at the same time that I wouldn't be sitting down to talk to you if I knew that I couldn't. Yeah, of course. So, sure. yeah, yeah. But, but I'm interested in, even for me, where that comes from and where what's that what that's based in and how do you counter it? I suspect well, we won't cover how that. How would you counter it do you mean as, how? as the... As the one who's nervous about it. Uh, it's sort of imposter... What I'm saying is it's imposter syndrome, really. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I think this is one for you, Mike. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I spent... This is I mean, partly the whole raison d'etre behind Opera Holland Park is to demystify the art form. Right. And, and it's interesting to hear you as a, a learned classical musician concern himself with whether he knows enough about opera or not. I think that you, you, you know as much as you need to know. And well, I, yeah, I, I know would, that I can come along and I can enjoy it. And I would say that I'm to just, the person who isn't a classical musician, whose only experience of classical music is a Kleenex advert. And know. also, um, the sort of opera that you have made this company specialise in mm. is the sort of opera that you're never... You don't need to be a scholar to enjoy. No, no you don't need to be yeah. a scholar to enjoy any opera, but it, let's, let's be fair, for sort of Wagner or, you know, some of the Baroque or classical... Genres, yeah. um, it really helps if you have a knowledge of the form, and then you you sort of go and collect Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, I think but that's <laughs> probably true. But actually, all the all the I would always argue that all opera, be it whatever period, be it the Baroque or be it you know uh, late eighteenth century, mid nineteenth century, whatever period you want to pick, it is primarily a visceral form. Mm-hmm. It confuses people because they think, oh, it's in another language, and this is that this is in some way the intellectual uh, ephemera around opera that yeah. needs to concern them. It's not. It just happens to be in another language. Yeah. The, the what what works on you is the music and the drama. Yeah, and we share an interest in obscure Italian verismo. <laughs> <laughs> Stab and sob operas. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, stab and sob. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we're friends. <laughs> right. Okay. That sounds a bit perverse. I think. Well, no, I, th- I don't think we're it's friends because of the friend. stab and the sob. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no the the the, the argument that I would make to, to 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 anybody who said, "Well, you know, I'm a bit worried. I, I just don't know enough about opera." It's effectively bollocks. I mean, no, I would. And, and I no, I know. I know, I know you're not. You're being sort of slightly devil's I'm, advocate. I'm, I'm, no, but I'm also aware that even even though I do feel it, you know, I went I went to Budapest to watch three Wagner operas, my first three Wagner Crikey. operas on three consecutive days, and when I arrived in Budapest, I was shattered, absolutely mm. shattered, and I didn't understand what the hell was going on mm-hmm. because. <laughs> The subtitles were not translated. Yeah, they were in Hungarian. <laughs> and, and so I'm sat there going, why the hell am I and here? Hungarian is incomprehensible. Absolutely. The only thing it's related absolutely. to is Finnish. Right, I, really? I, is that right? Yeah. And I sat down next to the maddest woman I've ever met, and she told me about her life story in the ten minutes we had before it started, and I thought, if I'm not careful, I'm going to fall asleep, mm. and that would be awful, because I'm here on a press ticket. Mm. And, and what I discovered was, I think it was... I think it was Rheingold. Is that the one that opens with all the water? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. All the E flat major. Yeah. Ones. Oh yeah. my God. And what I discovered at the, by the end of that, I thought, my God, I am so awake. Mm-hmm. And I have been up since three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And you know what? So I know what you mean. Rheingold is one opera that I recommend for people who want to get into Wagner. There are two operas that I recommend for people who say, well, I, I've been to a couple of operas, but I'm a bit scared of Wagner. Yeah. Right. What should I see? The first thing I say is normally The Flying Dutchman. Yeah. Okay. Because it's tuneful. 
novel and it's dramatic and it's short. relatively short, <laughs> um, which is the same reason I recommend Tosca to people. Mm. Um, but Rheingold is the start of a four-part story. It yes. makes you want to know what happens next. <laughs> yes, yes, and it did, yes. Yeah, and I only saw three. I didn't see four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did Imagine. you know what the ending was? <laughs> well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> it's... it's it, I, it, it really, and I, I mean, what's more, I've proven it, you know, that, that you know, by taking footy fans like Harry the Greek and those kids in the hip hop This was Harry the last the film we made, it called right. Footy to Verdi. We took a couple of football Chelsea fans. Right. Same thing, Three first time. Three, but, but Adam was very much a regular here. already. So, you know, um, we've proven. But he's called Harry the Greek. I'm sorry. That's his nickname, yeah, <laughs> right, Harry the Greek. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how cute. And, uh, <laughs> and he. Um, he was a he was it was quite moving at the end of the film how how he reacted but we've proven time and time and time and time and time and time again and i've written a million articles about the fact that this is an art form that trumps pardon the word all of them when it comes to the effect it can have on you and it's really quite simple premise and you do find when they come people for the first time they come out of the interval they go oh I'm actually following the story. Well, of course you bloody are, you know. And, and that's, you, so you, what did you actually think went on? And that's part of the problem. Uh, and you but will isn't that get, also part of the joy, sorry to interrupt, but isn't that also part of the joy of discovery that in order for people to be um, converted, converted, that's not a nice word, but persuaded, if you like, is that in that moment they've gone, oh, Actually, this is a bit like me with Wagner sure. in Budapest. Yeah. It's no, like, it is oh, a nice thing to... I've been made awake. Absolutely, and it's why these films we make are quite touching, because that there is that process of enlightenment, almost. Even amongst, you know, 17 and 18-year-old kids in mm. hip-hop to opera. You've, you know? you've obviously... I mean, I'm making a massive assumption. You've seen hip-hop to opera. I have, yes. And I'm, I was quite interested to see it, because, I mean, obviously I'm interested in um, seeing people's reactions when they're not... Um, naturally disposed to, yes. to, to to go to opera yeah. but that school is on my way to work I pass it every day <laughs> I you know dodge the kids I dodge the kids on the bus basically <laughs> or you know or walking walk because to work. they're kids because, because they're kids yeah, not because exactly. they're kids at that school not because they're kids at that school <laughs> no, just, just because so there's a massively <laughs> narrow bit of pavement just up from the school that they've yeah. made into a cycle lane and therefore there's hardly any space for pedestrians and you, well, right, you're wandering along the cricket ground yeah. Yeah. for reasons yeah. of safety exactly that's yeah, so, they've, so they've, they've nicked the space from pedestrians rather than traffic which right. is a bit perverse but you know so yeah I mean it's, it's local to me and I'm I'm quite aware that the neighbourhood that I live in, which, I mean, I live slightly f- further down the road in Camberwell, um, but it was Archbishop Tennyson School opposite Oval Cricket Ground. Mm. And um, basically I'm quite aware that I, although I see people who live near me on public transport and in the shops and things like that, I don't really know very much about a lot of them because I spend a lot of my time in mm. town going to right. opera and seeing people who like opera and who go to plays and ballet and mm. all of the other things I do in my spare time. And it yeah, and not what kids at Archbishop Tennyson do. No, often. and certainly I don't really have a lot of friends who are 18 or 19, regardless of no, who they are, no. where they come from, where yeah. they live. Um, so I'm really quite fascinated by, by that whole... Well, it, it does tie in a bit to the book, because my book was about my school, which was very much a very unusual place. And uh, it, it took inner-city London boys and gave them a kind of Eton-style education. And part of that was massively, it was cultural education. You know, I sang in choirs, we sang, we sang serious music, we performed serious plays, and, you know, they even did a performance, a production of the Freischutz at my school. Wow. And it just wow. said... It's ambitious. This, well, but, I mean, it's, but it just said, this is what we're doing, get on with it. Right. There was no kind of qualification. And yeah, uh, it's not, not sort of putting any um, assumptions yes, or expectations okay. around... Which is exactly what I've just articulated. Oh, that's ambitious. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah. And so, so partly what I've always, and what I argue in the book, in the bit that's more, if you like, polemic, is that, and I argue a lot on Twitter with people about working class in the arts. I've just written a big piece in response to that panic survey, which is, don't blame the art form. No. No, no, the art form right. is being used the as a The problem is... 
people who are on the same side as the working class people are telling them it's not for them. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I am furious about these arguments. It's the same about, you know, black and working class people going to Oxbridge. When you ask people, well, why didn't you go? They say, well, I was never encouraged to apply. Quite. Yeah. And it's the same with the arts. And so yeah. we, I, won't, I will not tolerate it at all. I'm an absolutist on this. That's what drives me mental about um, certain crossover artists mm. who, I mean, I've got nothing against crossover. Absolutely. All the people who listen who to crossover. Exactly. Who, who basically in media appearances oh. encourage their audiences not to, do. not to explore the Absolutely, art form. Yeah. I don't care if they do or not, they can do what they like. Yeah. But being actively encouraged No, I know. I, it is makes really, me mad. Really and so when I read so that report I read, the the panic survey and the, the report that they put out, which was put out by partly funded I think by Arts Emergency, which is a good charity idea. You know Arts Emergency, it gets, you know, people in the arts is black books basically and makes them available to young people who want to you know which is great but the reason that working class BAME people are not going into the arts or getting into is not because they're not being given jobs it's because there aren't enough of them applying yes. because they're not yes. being exposed to it at an Absolutely. early age and being given a neutral cultural ground to come to it from but some people would just to but just to push back, some people would argue that the reason they're not being given enough or they're not even thinking of it is because they're not seeing themselves represented on stage. So there is, is there not a chicken and egg that I'm just, I don't believe just being that an annoying a black, twat now? I don't believe that a black person has to see another black person to enjoy an art form. And also, don't they have no, to okay. come? I think it helps. Exactly. I think, you know, if you come to Holland Park, you'll see quite a few principal black singers actually now and again, not yeah. hundreds. It's only because there aren't that many out there that we we would cast whoever. Yeah, I mean, the analogy that I draw in my day job, um, I work in construction projects in an engineering environment. Um, in the um, in the past, uh, the question has often been asked about why there are so few women in engineering. At the time, I was working with in a company where we had two female engineers out of hundreds of men. The fact is, there uh, that year, the apprenticeship that we were running at the time, there were a hundred-ish applicants for the apprenticeships and two of them were girls. Mm. So the chances yes. of those two being in the top four that ended Absolutely. up getting offered the apprenticeships yeah. are is, quite slim. Is, 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 is I, have, I have worked in organisations, I'm not going to name them, uh, where there has been a push to recruit people from particular ethnic groups and it became apparent that even though that advert was placed in areas where those people mm. would apply mm. it they happening. still didn't apply no mm. so you found mm. you found yourself in this rather odd situation where yeah, you go, it's well this is meant to be a diverse well, recruitment thing well and actually we've got no one to no, choose from exactly. <laughs> i mean everyone would agree you can't argue with the basic data the basic data says that the arts creative industries wherever, wherever you want to draw the the two you know touch lines for that are largely middle class, white, highly educated, etc. Right? This is not really something that any of us can sensibly argue. I would argue that there's an awful lot more working class people working in theatres and on stage as well as behind stage mm. who are absolutely bloody working class. Yes. Especially singers, funnily enough. Mm. But generally it's not hard it's hard to escape the impression that that's the case i think part of the reason that it's especially singers i mean i know you're comparing it with other theater staff mm. but um singers as opposed to instrumentalists mm. if you're from a, a poorer background whether mm. you're white or black mm. you don't have to buy an instrument if you're a singer mm. and often you tend to start later anyway right. yeah that's a good point it's so, a very good point yeah uh, and it feels an easier thing to learn if you have a natural instrument yeah. you learn mm. a few notes and you can do it so many people who are singing professional opera nowadays didn't start singing until it didn't start having lessons until they're late, late teens yeah, yeah. whereas if you're playing the violin or the flute or whatever if you're not taking you know junior conservatoire mm. lessons at the age yes, of 13 that, that, yeah, I, I then you're you. probably not going to it's, get it, no it's a fair point it means that if you're a singer let's say you just left a conservatoire okay you're a soprano you're a good soprano 
you, like all the other Sopranos, lots of them are Far more than struggling else. to find your place and a foothold in the business. You need a, a job somewhere, however. Mm. If you are shit, you might know all the people in the world, which will mean that you'll get through the door, you'll get some auditions more easily than others might, yeah. for sure. But if you're shit, you won't get the job. Um, I don't know one person that would give, give have, the job. Have you both seen it? I'm sure you have. Have you seen The Moderate Soprano? I saw it in I its original yet. run. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, have, you have. I haven't yet, no. That's uh, the, the because one that's that is kind of... Uh, that's the point that David Hare emphasises. I can't remember the central character. Um, the Moderate Soprano. Mm. Well, uh, um, basically, Audrey you Martin, know... Isn't it? Um, uh, uh, she's she's going. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> the, the producers and directors are going. Yeah. Well, we'll give you an audition. Um, yeah. You know, at best, we'll give you an audition, which is kind of that's kind of what you're saying, really. It, well, it and helps that, that's to know people be. to get to get heard, to open the door to have an opportunity. Place. There's no question about yeah. that. I think it would be it would be disingenuous of me to say that isn't in in this industry and in all all industries. It is a factor mm. clearly. That's what actually the world goes round on. I don't believe that that's what's stopping working class no. people going no. into the arts. No. That's the bit that I have a problem with. Yeah. The problem with that, for me, is that there aren't enough of them doing it. Mm. There aren't, and, and the e-back is making that even worse. Because it just gets rid of the yes. arts. So stop attacking the art forms and start encouraging people yeah. to actually study the arts. Just expose To actually listen to, to something. I mean, what Mike said a little bit earlier about um, exposure to state school pupils um, of the arts, well, of classical arts, mm. should I say, I, I have a bee in my bonnet about this as well, because I was, I'm state educated, um, but I consider myself very privileged in that I was from a family who, no, we didn't know anybody, I didn't have parents who are professional musicians, but my parents were culturally switched on. Mm. And I was exposed to classical music from an early age. My mum got me, you know, made, made sure that I was offered the right opportunities. For I mean, we're not talking anything like you know, Covent Garden Children's Chorus and stuff no, like but that. You said, but today but you I've sing a sung, lot. Yeah, and, and, I've and sung all my life. I now, I sing professionally as a church singer. Um, so I'm, it's a sideline for me because obviously I have a day job in a completely non-arts related field. But... Uh, the majority of my colleagues in church and chapel choirs are private school educated mm -hmm. and <laughs> a lot of them Oxbridge because the ch chapel choir and the cathedral tradition Absolutely. was not something I grew up with. No, exactly. Well, good for you. And the, but it's worse now. It was bad enough getting exposure Absolutely. to classical music in the school as a child 30 years ago. But it's mm. much worse now. They just don't get it. If I hadn't... No. I mean... Even for me, if I hadn't had the mother I do, I wouldn't have had... I mean, I don't know if I'd have ended up auditioning for the youth choir that I got into when I was 13 sure. and had all that sort of basic education. I mean, my, and, and my mum saying... Because we, we went to the same university, me and my mum, and I remember her saying, oh, you must audition for chamber choir. I did when I was there and I didn't get in. So I went and I auditioned oh, for chamber choir and I did get in. Fantastic motivation. <laughs> yeah, she sounds fantastic. Did you, um, did you, so when I watched Hip Hop to Opera, I watched it at 10 o'clock in the morning, I cried. Mm -hmm. I cried unexpectedly, um, because I don't generally cry in the morning. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, I don't, unless there's some nasty shock. Did you cry when, I mean, you must surely have been moved. Yeah. Were you I, not? I, it's weird. Because I found it moving. Yeah, oh, I find it a very moving film, and I think Bakary you know, Bakary's final monologue about I got it properly was fantastic. And um, I find that sort of thing very moving. Uh, obviously, when I'm filming it with them and you're doing hours and hours of footage, you, it all starts to fall into place when you're in the edit suite and you're watching mm. it all back and actually able to, to take it, fully take in what people are saying. And you can start to construct the narrative of it. But it is... You know, what well, it was fa fantastic to see some of them bloom, actually blossom, and um, who were very nervy type people. And and the the whole point of the film wasn't 
you know, young working class people, you can like opera. Although no, you can. I don't think, I don't it was, it t- was taking people out of their comfort zone. It was yeah, saying, what they can do. Yeah. I'm going to do something extreme, put you in an extreme for you circumstance, and you're going to see actually it's not yeah. that extreme. And, and, and yeah, actually, for, for me, for me what, what I think the moment where I did start going, oh, hang on, I'm feeling quite emotional. <laughs> oh, my God, abort, abort, <laughs> was when he, uh, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but it was a he, uh, watched... A base. Oh, oh Myowa. Yes, um, yes Myowa. Watching Simon Shibambu from the Yetapaki Young yeah. Artists Programme yeah. at Covent Garden. Both of you go. Oh, that's what that was. Uh, yeah. But 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 I and and he totally he didn't know his face just transformed. Yeah, didn't totally. It? He, he was. I mean, it was genuinely. It was a moment that he, where and I've seen this quite a lot actually over the years, where people just don't realise that exists. It's not just wow, that's good. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. That, how does that happen? I didn't even know this stuff went on in the world. Yeah. What is going on? You know, and it was, and and I think that he wore that on his face. Yeah. The interesting thing was, weeks before the film came out, um, Mike had published a, a very just small that, clip, that yeah. clip, not showing the singer, just showing his face, just showing the, oh, the guy's right, face okay, as a trailer. And I oh, didn't listen. <laughs> I didn't listen to the audio for ages. I, I watched the thing, and I thought, I bet that's a bass he's listening to. Mm. Wow. I was. I, I kind of thought, as a teenage boy, right, he's yeah. possibly going to connect with a bass yeah, voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, and Simon does have an incredible, incredible voice. It's a beautiful yeah. voice, and it's a big, big, very sort of ringing bass. You know, mm. squillo, You know, it's really got good. that real quality to it. So in that small room, it it, it had a absolutely visceral uh, impression on them. Do you but want to be a TV producer? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Although I'm constantly being Someone's asked to make TV denial. programs and we'll see really? where that goes. Oh, well, but well, well, that's something else. But but the, 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 it was brilliant to because see you clearly, But The reason I say that is because you clearly you understand without wishing to be cynical hmm. you understand what buttons need to be pressed <laughs> <laughs> in order to make people cry well, at quarter past think, ten in the I morning think, yeah <laughs> maybe that is something I mean I'm a you know a melodramatic Italian so Great. maybe but, <laughs> we but need the, more of them but I do think it was a genuinely uh, moving process because you know these kids came out of it and it was only a short process it, it, for them it was a I mean I've known them for a while because I do mentoring but the actual filming bit of it and the the, the the process of going from seeing the opera house or, or talking to me and get, get, getting the preambles to go into the it was a three-day process so we did one two three we did consecutive days so it was wow. very short and intense and so the journey as such as it was was over this very short period so when they sort of got to the end of it and Bakary, who three days before had said yeah i just don't get why people get emotional about stuff <laughs> and, uh, and, fini- <laughs> <laughs> and finishes our film with this fantastically emotional monologue about how incredibly how he got it properly and could see why the woman in front of him was properly crying that's an extraordinary journey in yes, three it days. Is. yes for certainly for a kid of his experience you know mm. and I actually found it really um, interesting to watch just from the point of view of somebody who goes to so much opera and he's seen, seen mm. the standard repertoire so much um, and it was shall we say it wasn't the greatest performance of Tosca I, I was at that performance coincidentally yeah, whatever <laughs> it was not yeah, the yeah. greatest performance I had ever seen but for them it and was the greatest them, thing they'd ever seen absolutely exactly. absolutely it was really really not that good and but Tosca's like that. Tosca particularly, as, a, I as I so. said earlier. And it was um, interesting. I was having a lot of conversations with people. I said, uh, and they said, what are you going to take them to? I said, I'm taking them to Tosca. And they said, no, no, you can't. Take them to, the, 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 the Carmen's on. Carmen's to too Tom. long. Carmen's way too long. And for it's shit. And, and, <laughs> and no one likes any. But, but, you know, so I said, no, no, no. It's no. me thinking, I'll take them to Britain. But Carmen, <laughs> Carmen, oh, sorry, Tosca is something I knew they would get. It's visceral and dramatic and it's you know you recognise the characters from the start and you know who they are, they're very clearly identified. Exactly. Never the, seen it. Sorry. Uh-huh. Never seen it. And the Te Deum, you know, the Te Deum yes. with uh, Junior, you know, he, he sings in choirs, he's quite a religious Junior. Right. Junior's quite a, a strong Christian. Right. And uh, he goes to church, sings choirs and he likes gospel music. Right. I said, well, there's a bit in Tosca that you're going to love. 
yeah. which is the Tadeum. Yeah. And, and, and it's what he says at the end of the film. Oh, yeah, he loved salesman. it. He said, and, uh, but, but um, uh, what was I going to say? I was saying something about the kids. Um, it, it, it's, not, um, it's not a difficult art form. No, it's not. No, and I, I think that when they, you know, saw that and they they all hated Tosca. They didn't like the character Tosca. None no, of I she's remember. Needy. Yes, yeah, yes, she's needy yeah. and she's she's clingy and she's and uh, high George maintenance. thought that she just <laughs> she, she just was confused and couldn't find herself. You know, which I thought was a lovely comment. And uh, and none of them trusted. None of them liked. Uh, they they all thought at least Scarpia, you know what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Her, we, don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know what. Well, we're she knows what uh, she's getting. Yeah, we can't trust her. But Scarpia, you know, he's a bad guy, and that's it. You know. Um, so it was a brilliant experience. What I'd like to know uh, from both of you is what's in the season. Who wants to go first? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing, and Ruth can tell you what she wants to see. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, thank God. We're doing. We're starting with the two. You know, with two very much popular works: the Traviata and the Così, Così fan tutti. And then we're doing our very. And this is exciting. We're doing our very first Strauss opera, uh, which Richard is the Richard Strauss. Uh, Richard Strauss. Yeah, yes, the uh, the Ariadne of Naxos. Wow. Which is a co-production. It was done in Scotland in February, and then it's our annual lunacy, which is uh, Mascagni's Isabeau, which is uh, based on the, the the legend of Lady Godiva, sort of loosely, and uh, is gorgeously Wagnerian. Interestingly, okay, right. I see what you're uh, doing. Very rich and uh, symbolic and and beautiful. Okay, and. and Brilliant, actually. Really nice, beautiful opera. Everyone will love it. So that's the marketing department speaking. So, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm coming to all four of them. Of course. Um, for different reasons. I mean, I very rarely miss an opera here, to be honest. So if mm. it was something I hated, I'd probably still come. But fortunately, <laughs> there's nothing that fits that description. Um, oh, where do I start with Traviata? I, I seem to have become some sort of a... Twitter legend on Traviata because Great. I've seen it 104 times. <gasps> um, <laughs> okay. Over how long? Over 22 years. Okay. So that's about 50. To f about five quite a lot. About still. five a year ish. What? Wow. Yeah. Just it's done so often. I mean, it is I done so often. I admire that. I'm also slightly scared of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. No. Um, it's it's an opera that comes up a lot. It was it was the first opera I saw. It was the opera that made me fall in love with opera. Uh huh. Um, I'm not even going to get into the ridiculous social media situation mm. I'm now in where I've got something like 15 people who have sung the title role in Traviata in my presence follow me on Twitter mm -hmm. and I seem to end up talking about it quite a lot mm. with them. So it, I've got a strange relationship with that opera um, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. Uh, they've got a very good cast and I'm actually having to see it again because they're also doing a young artist performance. You're yeah. having to see it again. Well, we do a young <laughs> artist every year and yes. that's the show that they're on this year. Right. Yes, so I'm seeing it with the, the, the main cast and I'm seeing it with the young artist cast because I always come to the young artist cast. So essentially that's two performances that yeah. she tickets for. But it's interesting <laughs> this year, I think, Travi, I mean, maybe talking for you, Ruth, but... Yeah. Because Lauren Fagan's singing it, yeah. and and it, there's you know she's very much a, a rising star soprano, Lauren, and so it's okay. Let's see her in Traviata. You know, it's one of those moments. Yeah, yeah. Lauren actually, um, when she before she before the announcement, in fact, before she got offered this, she was asking me for recommendations of recordings. And she didn't tell me who it was for that she'd been offered one. But nah. um, yeah, anyway. Uh, so uh, one other thing that you want to come to. One other thing, if I had to choose, <laughs> what? Okay, if I had, if if I had to choose one, oh, that, that's just mean. Okay, so two. <laughs> okay, you can have two. Okay, I'm saying could, that he will give you. If tickets I can have two. two, then um, I unfortunately the one I'd have to ditch, even though they've got a really really good cast, is Cosi Fantute because it's just not my favourite piece. Mm. Okay. This, right. this is kind of a controversial view in the opera establishment, apparently. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah, I. I love one of my one of my favourite <laughs> pastimes. I have to be honest. And you're not going to like me for this. Is uh, and it's particularly cosy actually, but is is the after show party of the first night is talking to the conductor <laughs> about why I don't like cosy very much <laughs> and why it's a very overrated opera. And they, without fail, they're like that little man in uh, you know in the uh, Pixar movie. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't even remember its name, and it's my favourite Pixar movie. Uh, what's it called? You know, in the girl's head. I oh, don't know. Okay, it doesn't. I mean, anyway, I'll, the we'll Pixar film. In. We'll uh, dub it in. 
Anyway, the, it's, it's her anger. It's her emotion. Right. And, okay. it, and his head explodes in flame oh, okay. every time. Get, and all the conductors do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. When, they, when you say that. Like, and it's, it. it's hilarious. It's like bingo. So it's just like sport. It's at what point will they storm out <laughs> when you say, no, because yeah. he's not dead. So I mean, you're ditching fa- Cosy then. No, you're I, ditching Cosy for, for, for... No, 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 I know you're inside not. Inside really. out. Inside out, okay. Best Pixar movie, everybody. Watch it. Okay. Ariadne of Naxos has a fantastic cast. It's also the most bonkers opera ever written. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who might be listening to this who doesn't know about it, it's basically about um, a burlesque comedy piece and a serious German opera being performed simultaneously. Because they um, ran out of time. Because they ran out of time because their, their sponsor has decided that the evening has to finish on time so that all his um, guests can go and watch the fireworks. And... Sounds That's perfect. the premise. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's very beautiful. Though. It is beautiful. Okay, and so uh, Ari- it's a fabulous cast. So Ariadne. Yes, and, and Isabeau, I would n- never, ever miss an Opera Holland Park performance <laughs> of, as, what did you, what did you could just call it? It was your... Stab oh, and yeah. sob. No, no, no just you now. Said else. You, lunacy. Lunacy. Annual there you lunacy. go. <laughs> annual lunacy. I would never miss Op- Opera Holland Park's annual lunacy. This is how I discover this stuff. I've never seen Isabeau. I've seen all of the other three operas that Opera Holland Park are doing this year on many, many occasions. I have never had an opportunity to see Isabeau. Um, I. Who is it written? I'm sorry. Mascagni. Mascagni. Okay, right, so okay. obviously. Um, so uh, musically, people... it's in a place that people are familiar yes. with. Yeah. Yes. I mean. Um, People think of Mascagni as a, as a one opera composer with um, Cavalleria Rusticana, but um, Opera Holland Park has done a number Some would argue he still is, of course. <laughs> but uh, Iris is a, is a wonderful Yeah, composer. Iris. Opera Holland Park did um, Iris by Mascagni a couple of years ago, and that was uh, also my first experience of that piece. Although we did it first time in 1997. Yes, which was before I lived in London. Uh, I need I need dates. When does it start? When does we all open of this on start? Uh, the 29th of May, which is a bit early for us. Which is a Tuesday. It's a usually week June. Early. A week early. Normally, it's the first Tuesday in June. And how much work have you got to do on site? I mean, I'm, I'm saying that in a slightly uh, cautious way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a bit. Well, we're sitting here in the middle of a building site, yes. basically, aren't we? At the moment? Yeah. No, it, 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 it's a lot of it is just junk that needs moving. Um, okay. It's right. it's it does it is a a pigsty at the moment but uh well it, <laughs> easy now over the next week an awful lot will be finished right i mean the seats come in they take half a day to put in you know look you know oh my god there's no seats yet but when do you start having rehearsals is it is, must be a about stage the 14th in 15th we start in the middle of may here we start stage here piano for something. yeah we're, we're already rehearsing in the room but uh we start this piano excited text. are you both excited uh i it's it's weird everyone asks me this every year Sort of. I think what it is is you just want to make sure everything's ready, and right. uh, and so excitement is a bit. Oh my god, nearly there. Okay, so stress. <laughs> yeah, okay. so stress. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so do, when do you get excited, Ruth? Well, you get the, that feeling that I do when the prom starts, which is like, <gasps> it's if here. The weather is nice on first night, which sometimes it isn't, but when it is, it feels as though it's it's Happy New Year, Holland Park. Right, summer uh, is yeah. here. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's lovely. It's it feels like coming home to me because this company has made me feel like a member of the family, even though I have actually got nothing to do with them in terms of you know ever having worked for them or anything like that. I've just been adopted by Opera Holland Park for about the last seven or eight years, and um, I think there's a lot of. Co- I mean, Ruth, because Ruth goes everywhere and everyone knows her, and she buys so many tickets for things. I think there's a lot of companies who you know who, who take care of her in that regard because. Why wouldn't Why you? Wouldn't you know, you, yes. you know, um, you're an advocate. You, you are, are the most, I would say. You're your friends here. Yeah, well, and and that's nice of you to say, Ruth. But it's it's when the it's a small off, world. The atmosphere just changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't stand it. Yes, <laughs> thank you, Ruth. Um, no, it's uh, it's it's a small world. The opera business, you know, mm. it really is. And 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 I think Ruth is, and I've said this many times. I think Ruth is a is a very very good example of the sort of. You know, the arts need more people like Ruth. I mean, it's as Thank simple you. as that. Okay, Ruth is more than your average goer. <laughs> I'm you a fairly extreme she, example, she more, is what he's saying. You know, what, four, five nights a week you're in a theatre? Well, let's, let's say like obsessive. That. 
No, no, no. I don't think that obsessive is that a bad thing. Obsessive nowadays is seen as construed as a bad thing, in a nice way. But it's uh, it's a healthy obsession. I'm also Um, a lot more selective than people might think. Um, There is there is so much on that I couldn't go to everything, Um, and therefore I am pretty selective about what I do go to. And there is a group of people in the opera world, actually, like in Ruth's circle, I suspect Mm. a lot of them. Uh, In all honesty, I don't like paying a lot for their tickets. Because they've got a long way, to, their money's got to go a long way. Because they go to so many things. If I could, get, so, if I went to the opera five times a year, then sure, I could pay 150 exactly. pounds a ticket. Exactly. Exactly, and that's the, that's the, the point, and that's yes. actually part of the conundrum for the arts is how you address that, and and especially for opera because opera is such an, an expensive art form. You know, um, how do we provide tickets for people who don't really want to, on average, pay more than 30 quid mm. when? You know, it costs so much to put this art form on. Um, just a quick point, going back to the the Isabeau. Uh, it's interesting now that after 20... Well, Iris was 97. So it's about 21 years, 22 years of doing this rare late Italian repertoire. It has always been a sellout. And nowadays is the first thing to sell out. Um, I have to tell you, I've never done this before on a podcast recording, but I need to go to the toilet now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we need to we need to bring this to an end. Okay. <laughs> and there isn't a toilet uh, here, by the way. Oh Not yet. God, yeah, you're going to have to go God. into the park. Uh, thank you very much. I've really, really... Thanks to Michael and Ruth for participating in this thoroughly good classical music podcast. Ruth is Ruth Ellison, R-U-T-H-E-L-L-E-S-O-N on Twitter. Michael is NoisyMV on Twitter. Uh, and I'm obviously thoroughly good do please like rate and share the thoroughly good podcast on social media the more people know about it the better thank you very much for listening